Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. Welcome, everybody, to episode 329 of the Polycast. I'm your new, whatever you want to call it, Canis Albinus, and we've got Mackie, Makalua. She's muted. Yeah, I think she muted to eat thump. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> I forgot. This isn't TeamSpeak. I can't just hit, hit control to unmute. So I said, next time I try, remember to mute when I crunch. Whoopsies. And then we've got the me and team. A new year, a new lead co-host, and new cities to conquer. And Mega Bears fan. And lots of new online gaffes to make. Yes, indeed. So, first up, we are covering one of the new civs in Gathering the Storm. This would be a returning civ from Civ 4, the Mali, with a returning leader from Civ 4, Mansa Musa. Everyone remembers him, right? You want to trade some tech? Well, this time around, we're not being trading many techs, but still have quite the, the typical theme for Mali. So, this civ is the loads of money civ, with quite a few things placed on that. I'm going to butcher some pronunciations, probably. Uh, I'm not too good with this stuff, but Unique District is the Saguba. and replaces the commercial hub and allows you to buy stuff for less stuff with either gold or faith. So uh, a reasonably common building, a common district still, is going to be empowered for them. So Yeah, as uh, if we didn't already have enough reason to uh, rush to commercial hubs. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And that, that's going to be a theme with Mali. They, they look pretty good, at least on paper, unless... Unless we get quite the curveball thrown for us by gathering storm and all of a sudden it's industrial hubs or something that are great. Or industrial gold districts. Just, gold is just not worth anything anymore in gathering storm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not impossible, but I'm not anticipating that. We'll see. Uh, unique ability songs of the jelly. I'm just going to say jelly because it's cooler. So you get additional faith in food for every adjacent desert and desert hills tile. Mines provide less production to the city, but grant additional gold output. So you're just going to get more money. Uh, and you could buy uh, commercial hub district buildings with faith. So, yeah, you, you might want to go for commercial hubs with this safe, guys. <laughs> Does Dubia already have a more gold from mines ability? I wonder if yeah, but, but Mali has more gold from everything ability. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mali has an all the gold belongs to us ability. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought you specifically said mines. Oh, uh, no, desert as well. Oh, okay. Uh, that is different than Nubia then. And um, also, their unique ability, the Sahel Merchants, also grant uh, gold for each flat desert tile within the originating Sydney's borders. And uh, oh, that's for international trade routes. So I don't know if I said that or not. And the, um, the Sahel Merchants unlock additional trader slot whenever Mali enters a golden age. So you're going to get more traders as well as get stronger traders if you're in desert. And you're going to get more gold if you're in desert. So... Is this just for outgoing trade routes, or does that include incoming trade routes as well? I mm, so if so you've within, got like Egypt within the originating cities. Oh, I see. So if you're you're yeah. saying if you try to trade with Mali, do you get the bonus as another civ? Right, I, that's so not clear to me here. You're playing as Egypt or Nubia or someone like that that also has a desert start bias, and you send trade routes to Mali. Are you going to get bonuses? Is Mali going to get bonuses? Is this one of the things like what was it Morocco and Civ Five where you know there's reciprocal? bonuses yeah i don't know 
That's not clear here. I think I remember reading the other day that at least the faith part only applied for the Molly. Yeah. Yeah, Manson Musa shouldn't share his gold. Screw everybody else. But I don't know if that's the case or not. And then the uh, the final unique for her this is the is a man <laughs> mandecal cavalry, and because it's a knight replacement, which means it's not going to take resources like most unique units, unless they're reworking how uniques work in the expansion as well. It's already good uh, just by being a guaranteed knight. I, I know they're adding something in addition to the knights on that path, but that's still going to be a good unit unless they like butcher the the tech progression they did so, in fact change that unique units will work their resources now oh did they that okay was mentioned in the mali stream oh that's unfortunate for the mali then because that that makes this a little bit less attractive yeah it's a special ability is preventing the trader units from being plundered as long as they're within four tiles and in in combat victories provide gold equal to the unit's base combat strength so that makes a return as well uh from the previous subtitle but they also get minus 30 percent production towards buildings and the knight does no the the civ ability oh oof they really 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 want us to buy all the things yes hmm that's just for gold purchase or all things for production only okay and and i get the feeling that the strategic resource requirement is probably not going to be as punishing as uh, as phil might think because i'm pretty sure i read somewhere on that will of souls site that there's some kind of strategic resource supply so it's probably going to be a lot easier to trade for strategic resources if you don't have them people will probably be a lot more willing to you know just hand you a few for you to at least build some of these units rather than you know being all or nothing hey mackie Mm-hmm. I'll give you a horse for two gold to turn. <laughs> Only one horse, though? I need more than one horse. Well, you can do another trade. Another horse for another two gold to turn. Yeah, if you get one horse from every sieve in the game, maybe you'll have enough to build the unit or build a large army of them. I don't know how many it's going to cost. Well, if I'm playing the Mali, I might have the gold to do that. Yeah. There was something somewhere that said it was like 11 of a resource to build it. And you also need to keep at least one of that type of resource in your treasury or else it can't heal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Again, looking at the stuff that was on Well of Souls, some of these numbers are, are quite large. So I can't imagine or I would have to imagine that it takes more than <coughs> one of each resource to build a unit. Because otherwise, like there's a screenshot in here where someone's got like 140 iron. Like you ain't building 140 swordsmen, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then still, like a solid ten swordsman with iron to spare. Yeah, if it's uh, for ten. Healing. Yeah, if it's ten per, yeah. You can build another one, but then your resources might be in danger. You get pillaged, you won't build a heal. That's right. I wonder if that'll make bombers worth anybody's time for like the first time in ages. Bombing uh, the resources. Mm, possibly because they might have a little bit of backup resources, but they wouldn't have an infinite supply. Plus, you have pretty good range so with bombers. I so think, if you know where they are, you could probably trash them. I think if you bomb buildings like the Armory, you reduce their maximum available storage cap. Oh, nice. I know that they did say that you have to build armories to be able to hold more of the resources. That certainly makes uh, encampments and their buildings a lot more useful and relevant. Yeah. If you, uh, if you weren't, you know, planning on building massive armies and sweeping across the map anyway. I think armories have been good pretty well since the beginning. And since they've been given production bonuses since the beginning, they're still really, they're nice already. That's just going to make them more attractive. Maybe not as spammable as campuses and commercial hubs, but still a very good district. I usually get by with just having like one or two encampments. Unless, yeah. I, unless again, I'm, I'm explicitly going from uh, for a military victory from early on, and then, you know, I build more of them. Yeah, well, plus you can concentrate your production in them to economize your investments. 
And that would especially be true of the city like Mali, where you're just buying stuff. So uh, you just buy it in the, the place where you've already set up your encampment. Right. I also have always kind of found the experience bonus from encampments to be not as great as it could be, because I usually find that my good units, by the time I can get barracks and armories out, have already got a few promotions. So the experience bonus isn't going to really help them all that much. It's only really for new units that you build after that. But I often try to get... That's good for like an artillery transition late game or something, if you're actually getting that deep in the game. That's the the one unit feel that I feel that it's really valuable for is the siege units because I try to spam as many like warriors and archers and stuff like that as I can as early in the game as possible so that I can just pay to upgrade them as I go rather than having to, you know, build them from scratch, which usually gets very expensive. Yeah. So because of that, I've just rarely found that experience bonus as useful as it probably should be, except with the exception of, you know, building catapults and bombards and stuff like that, which I almost always do have to build from scratch because they are very expensive to get out on the field early in the game. Plus, they're not very good. This is my problem with them. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is the you, in particular. by the time you get it set up to fire, it's already taken a bombardment from the city and a bombardment from the archer in the city, and it's got like 20 <laughs> hit points left, and it's not going to survive, so you just have to back it up, and it doesn't do anything. Well, if you have a general, you can like move them in on flatland and still shoot the city, but it's, yeah. like, it's okay at that, but it's a liability otherwise, and it, it's not so much better at that that it's not about class, but like just about every other means of taking a city. Yeah, just have a battering ram. Yeah, and you don't even, and the walls are you know going to be taken down by your melee units against the AI anyway. Human players might block you, but a catapult wouldn't save you there because they can't kill units very easily. Right, artillery can because artillery have good base range strength, and uh, grape shot by then is pretty powerful. But early game, no, not really. But anyway, we digress. We're we're supposed to be talking about Mali and building great civilizations in the desert. And if your Mali civilization is in the desert and you want some extra faith in science, you can build the New Wonder University of Sankor, which apparently grants a bonus to science and faith and also, I think, improves the science and faith yield of international trade routes or all trade routes. No, domestic trade routes yield bonus science and faith. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. It sounds like this and um, Mali are geared towards the build the Petra because yay. Yeah. And it's it's always nice to have more to build on a desert unless, of course, you're going to build Petra and you want to have nothing on your deserts because then every one of those tiles is like a beastly tile to work. But I'm sure you'll have more than one city with a uh, desert in it if you're starting as the Mali. So you'll be able to build both. Hopefully. Yeah, I think the screenshot here that they've got, uh, they have Petra as well in, in another city. I am not but yet yeah. equipped. I am not yet equipped to show shots on. Ooh, very nice. And then we can have the the, the podcast live action. Well, <laughs> not exactly. We can. I still have. I mean, we're going to do it. We still have a four four out of four no face cam requirements. <laughs> I still, I still want to use face cam where we have like not us <laughs> showing instead to pick what what we use. Yeah, they use a lot of domestic trade routes, so getting more yield from them will make them better. Yep. Someone does that as an anti synergy with Mali, and that's interesting. Is it but anti synergy? Well, yeah, because uh, Mali mm-hmm. wants to use international trade routes to get the gold. True. Then, then that might be contraindicated if you're if you're fighting against people who don't want you to get the gold anymore. Well, I guess it also depends on the nature of the science and faith boosts, because the the video that I saw wasn't explicit about what that means. Is it like a 10% boost to each, like a 20% boost to each? Is it like free 
science yields off of desert tiles. There. So that bonus might be worth it by itself without even getting the domestic trade route bonus is a new city-state, I forget the name of, that gives an extra trade route for something. Looking, I'm see if I can find it in the data. It's like... Mm. Cahokia? Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be as OP as uh, Carthage was in Vanilla, where it gave you an extra trade route for every encampment. That was a crazy powerful suzerain bonus. It was something like the what what you can do with it allows you to have like 40 trade routes by the end of the game, which would be a logistical nightmare. <laughs> but that is a lot of money. Yeah, hopefully Phil did not just have an aneurysm when he heard you say that. Mm. I'm not finding it. I guess it might be something else. Well, anyway. The one I know I saw that was new was Cahokia, but I don't remember if that's the one you're thinking of. I don't think so, because it looks like the Cahokia has the Mott and Bailey, which is the, well, the quote-unquote oh, Mott and Bailey. The mounds. I've that's been to those right. mounds. It's actually really cool, but... They give three gold and one housing and another housing at Cultural Heritage. You can't build them next to each other. And the first one gives an amenity and the second gives a, an, an, another amenity at Natural History. So a very nice pile improved. I'm not seeing anything on Well of Souls about uh, new traders or trade routes from city-states. I see great, great person boost, conversion boost. Maybe I was mistaken then. Maybe I was looking yeah. at something else. Maybe it was a wonder, different wonder. It might have been a wonder, too. Yeah, because doubling seems like it could get out of control and feels more like a uh, wonderish thing. It wasn't like a straight double. It was something. Anyway, we'll figure it out and mention it next time. Well, speaking of other wonder things, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Civ 6 was one of the top 12 selling titles on Steam in 2018. Despite the fact that I think at the end of the year on the Steam sale, it had like a 70% discount. I was like, whoa, that was fast. I mean, it's been out a bit longer than I'm thinking, but at the same time, I don't think I've I don't think I've seen Civ go below 50% while it's still out, and especially with an expansion pack coming. Yeah. That was kind of crazy. Some of these are surprising to me. I mean, Dota 2 doesn't surprise me because it's free to play. So yeah, yeah that, that's platinum, guys. Congratulations on your platinum free game. But um, <laughs> like Rocket League is here, and that's a great game. But it's been many years since that came out now. I'm very impressed that it's still in the platinum yeah. category. More, more people getting into it. So, yeah. you know. GTA so, as well. Still, still up there. Well, GTA is down to like $15. It's yeah, very popular. It's still, it, you know, that's been out a while as well. So, well, it also has a like massive online mode, and they're constantly adding like new little stories and quest things to it. So, yeah, and they added all that stuff a while back that was all the different stunts. So people make these custom race things, and there's all sorts of launching things and loops and these transform things where you like you go into it as a car and you come out as a plane and all sorts oh. of crazy things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's there's some wild stuff in the online mode of that game and very little of it seems to be about like robbing banks so <laughs> i guess you can only have so many of those it's pretty nice to see civ being up there in the platinum tier though and yeah because it's, it's so different from everything else that's in there because everything else is more action oriented yeah civ five is still in the bronze tier yep I, yeah. I just hope the uh gathering storm changes make the game a bit smoother We'll see. He's like, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed, but I'm not getting you like hope too much. <laughs> they, they have a lot of track record to go against when it comes to that. Yeah, and, and Civ also having over fifty thousand simultaneous players. Some of these I would never have guessed. I just, some of these games I haven't heard of. I guess I'm under a rock or something. There's a lot of games on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like the popular ones you'd expect to hear about, but maybe not. 
And I recognize a lot of them, at least. So, Despite all the flack it got, No Man's Sky is in here, too. Yeah. Well, they also just released some massive update like a few months ago, and it also came out for Xbox. So that game's like a completely different game than it was when it first launched. Like, gosh, what's it been like four years now? I think it's only been three. Wasn't it 2016? Something like that. I, I remember it was back at my last job, and that was a few years ago i've been at my current job for like at least two years now august 2016 yeah there we go hey stardew valley has fifty thousand simultaneous woo <laughs> the witcher 3 is still up here it's pretty telling that fallout 4 <laughs> leads the fallout series <laughs> <laughs> well and not, 76 well, isn't, so, on steam. isn't on steam yeah thank you oh okay but fallout yeah, 4 probably still has more players than 76 does yeah fallout 76 I, it would not surprise me if fallout 76 is on steam and fallout 4 it's still ahead but that's true i forgot that's not on steam i, I keep telling people just to wait because it's probably going to be free to play soon enough but i'm waiting on uh, but will you still fly it because i probably won't <laughs> i will well, play it if they give us private servers it'll get better or at least less bad yeah well less bad is better but that doesn't mean it's good <laughs> enough to true. play yeah <laughs> Speaking of Civ 5, we had news this week about John Schaefer, who designed Civ 5. He apparently has been dealing with some ADHD and prescription drug addiction, which is always sad for everybody. After he left Civ 5, he started doing his uh, At the Gates game, the Kickstarter project in 2013, and he got diagnosed with ADHD, following which he discovered that ADHD medication is very good at making you not sleep. And it also is very good at screwing up your life if you're not careful. Yeah. He went to both Stardock and Paradox during this time, and he had trouble at both places. And sounds like he's clean now, which is very good. And we wish him the best. Yeah, I remember having him as a guest way back in the early days of uh, Polycast and stuff. So, I, you know, it was. I, I guess it's a good way of pointing out this can happen to anybody. Everybody thinks that's not going to happen to me, or if I took that, I'd be fine, but it can sneak up on you. It does sneak up on you pretty quickly, too. Addiction's no joke. Yeah. Even relatively mild addictions can be pretty problematic to kick, so I'm impressed that he was able to to, to come back from this stuff. Yeah, when I was a, uh, a kid, I used to get migraine headaches all the time, and I had, I mean, I was never actually diagnosed, but... Uh, I was taking like Excedrin migraine almost every day for like large chunks of uh, uh, high school because if I didn't take it, I had, I'd get migraines and they're rebound headaches. But the problem is once you start getting them, you know, the keep taking more and then you just keep getting more rebounds. And yep. but yeah, it looks like according to this article at the gates is supposed to come out at the end of this month. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Hopefully that will be good. My personal experience with this issue is I take ADHD medication, and I have since I was in high school, and I am very well aware of how effective it is and how easy it would be to abuse, and I do not wish the need for it on anybody because it can also screw up your ability to function and sleep, even when yeah, it's not I, being abused. And I'm sure that in the working in the you know types of high pressure environments that he was working in, there was probably a lot of pressure on him to you know make himself as quote unquote you know normal as you could make himself and then you know it just spirals out of control from there yeah and pressure for <clears throat> if that's improving your performance yeah take another one get those extra hours in that kind of thing yeah but in any case good good to hear that he's doing better and that his game is coming out hopefully it will be good i'll definitely check it out i'll look at it i don't know if i'll play it but i'll look at it 
Well, yeah, that's that's what I meant by checking it out. Yeah. Yeah, if it looks good, I mean, by all means, a strategy genre could definitely use the help, but we'll see. I can't imagine he had he went through all the trouble with Civ Five and then didn't learn anything from it. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's learned things, but th- that said, it's just not that easy to make a great game. Yeah, and that doesn't mean he didn't make a great game. So I-, I will want to at least look at it. And I'm sure that a lot of the issues with Civ Five when it first came out were due to you know it being rushed out by the publisher and them not having enough time to you know, do the things that they wanted to do. And considering how much different Civ 5 was from Civ 4, I'm sure there were a lot of setbacks in development, you know, that weren't necessarily the result of bad design or bad planning. Just we tried to do something and we technically didn't get it, you know, didn't get it to work technically. And, you know, now we don't get to put all the features we wanted in the game and we didn't get to balance it as well as we thought we would. And, you know, a lot of that stuff can snowball out of control too. Civ 5 did have some design issues, pretty big ones from my opinion, but... It's not, they weren't fatal to the game because it still ended up being pretty good. Very popular. I feel like it introduced some of its design issues too, which definitely wouldn't be on Schaefer. Yeah. Like the, 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 the four city tradition thing was not a Schaefer era design choice. For no, example. it was not. And neither was penalizing you for expanding. Those, those were after Schaefer. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of problems with it in vanilla. And I was particularly annoyed by it at the time because of its terrible UI and the way it runs. But that's been a long-standing issue ever since as well. Well, and vanilla was just also very slow and kind of dull to play. Because I mean, I remember when the game first came out, like it took forever to produce anything because the amount of production you got was so low and things were so expensive. Like it'd yeah. be like 40, 40 turns to like build a swordsman. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Could you imagine the, it, the the way it was running at the time? If they made units more common, so you get those like deity games where you're getting carpets everywhere. That just like it put things to a crawl. Right, and and I feel like units being so expensive was you know a reaction to not wanting there to be too many units on the field because of either performance issues or just the fact that you wouldn't be able to move them around as well because they're blocking each other and taking up space. So, but it was it was a tough balancing act. And it took the game a long time to figure out how to balance that. It yeah. got better as we went through the expansion packs, and they finally got it to the right balance after Gods and Kings, which is why there are yeah. still so many people playing it. I don't oh, yeah. know. One unit per tile, it, 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 it's okay now, but I'm not sure it's even at the right balance now. <laughs> I, I still it's compared to where we it's were tough. when it first came out. You oh, know? sir, it's much better. Certainly much better. Yeah, but it's I still a tough feel like thing to do. I still feel like the scale of the map needs to be rethought in order to make one unit per tile really work well. Yeah, I agree. If the uh, distance between cities is much greater, if each individual tile is smaller, yeah, there, so there on, so be, on. There needs to be more space between cities and just more open space in general to move large armies around. And it would be really nice if, even though the game were one unit per tile, if you could somehow cram all your units onto like a road or railroad or whatever and move them as a group rather than having like one unit on the road and then all the units other units having to file behind and it just being real slow and tedious yeah or at least a better algorithm for pathing in those cases something something that makes that not awful yeah i have frequent problems with civ 6 where i'll you know i'll drag the mouse to a place and you know it like highlights the path that the unit is supposed to take and then i release the button and the unit takes a completely different path and does not go anywhere near where it said it was going to go and puts it totally out of position i'm like what the heck why I wish they'd fix that stuff. I think we all do. But in any case, At the Gates will be out at the end of the month, and maybe it will appeal to us Civ players. Yeah, we'll have a look. Mm-hmm.
Okay. So uh, next up is a piece of bad news, unfortunately. The uh, Civ 5 narrator, William Morgan Shepard, dies at age 86, and that just sucks. And I could go through uh, his uh, other things he did, but most people know he, he did other things as well. Yeah, he might have been in these little things called Star Trek and Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, he will be missed, for sure. Royal, Spakes, Ro- Royal Shakespeare Company as well. Uh-huh. He was well known. Very well known. And I, I, he, his presence in Civ Five definitely added to the atmosphere of that game. So yep. quite good in that as well. Right, and I think we're ready for the strategy portion of this podcast. Strategy. Take our, hmm. take our moment of silence for Mr. Shepard and uh, move on to a post on Civ Fanatics from Victoria asking a question about line of sight. And Victoria is saying that some units maybe have three line of sight. Victoria is specifically talking about settlers, and there's some screenshots here of being able to like see mountains like more than two tiles away and well, she uh, gave a list of units that have similar range as well yeah i mean i i had always experienced like mountains and i think sometimes hills like being visible at three distance from a unit but i always assumed that was a characteristic of the terrain and not an aspect of the unit so i i'm not sure if i've experienced what victoria is experiencing so I, I don't really know what much to say about it other than probably have, have like she's it. got the screenshot evidence and I, i've noticed it too although uh not commonly because a lot of these things aren't things that you would have really game aside from yeah. the settler which you're not going to explore with like those things cost a lot right the, the map but, is usually uncovered by the time you get these units yeah but you still have fog of war so there's their vision is still important uh, and that's even more true later in the game when you have things like artillery that can shoot over uh, some stuff. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've always seen, I think, mountains and hills uh, would appear at, at three distance from a unit. But I always assumed that was like, you know, you can see them over the horizon kind of thing. And that was a, a aspect of the terrain, not the unit. So I don't know. I'll have to play Somebody... around with it more, I guess. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. Somebody did research into the files for the terrain and found that there is a a pseudo sight cost system that influences whether you can see stuff or not like certain objects require more points of influence to be seen through like you cannot see through mountains even with 3 sight but you can see over hills sometimes and sometimes you can see over desert hills there's a chart in the thread here that looks like the mountains always have three influence, so it makes it impossible to see around them. Did they ever figure out that that is, in fact, what influence means? The, I didn't get far enough into the thread to know if they ever figured that out. It seems like they did. Uh, I haven't seen the very end of the thread because I picked this a few days ago, but that was... This the... is not well implemented. Like, for example, Victoria is showing pictures of a biplane. I can see four tiles and see over hills, but a jet fighter... Uh, cannot see over else. Yeah. <laughs> great. Just great. Slow clap for that need one. to see where they're going. Uh... Yeah. Jet planes totally fly lower, so there's no way they can see. Well, no, it's, yeah. it's the jet fighters flying so high that it can't see the ground below because it's, 
it's there's clouds in the way. See, <laughs> it's they thought of everything. Okay, having flown an elite or two high in Minecraft, I can see where that would happen. Yeah, okay, <laughs> what land? One of those newbies piloting the aircraft like in War Thunder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although they'd probably be driving into the ground rather than too high, but who knows. <laughs> Well, this makes the promotion for scouts make a little more sense because they have that one with the extended range. So it's basically upgrading it from you can only see three or you can, to four or something like that. Or or, or or if there's an influence cost on the tile, maybe it's discounting that. And that's how it's seeing more. It might also be that the influence relates to those special agendas that say, hey, this is my type of land, leave it alone. Mm. Or it could be a modifier for annexing tiles or something like that. Like maybe the, the lower influence, the more likely you are to select that tile to annex it. I don't know. It seems possible. Because we've got, for example, Plains Hills only have an influence of one, but Tundra Hills have an influence of two. So why would hills on plains be easier to see through than hills on tundra? Yeah, that's not clear. Like The presence of forest or not makes sense, but not just the temperature of the hill. Well, you know, that actually kind of makes sense. And maybe it's ignoring the special terrain or special bonuses on top of it. You know, then it makes more sense as to why your city wants to go pick a plain tile, for lack of a better word, as opposed to one that has some sort of strategic resource or bonus resource or something. Because we've all had that in a city. It, you'd think the next thing would go is grab something like the iron you just discovered. But it's like, nah, what's this thing over here? Does the algorithm for city expansion use the same stuff yeah. as the line of sight? I'd be surprised if it does, but maybe. Uh-huh. I wouldn't put it past uh, Civ. And yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> like This kind of stuff should be obvious in a game. Strategy or otherwise. This is a gameplay rule. This is not like what the AI is going to do in response to X. This is not something that is reasonably hidden from the player. And this is a constant problem in, in Civ and quite a few other strategy games. Paradox is roughly as guilty uh, of it as well and it's just frustrating as a player in these strategy games to get these kinds of interactions with the rules where you really have to do a lot of work just just to find out the rules of the game not like how to play effectively but just just what happens as a result of stuff this is pretty frustrating uh, threads like this but um, well there's only source of information there's only a, a post three three later in the thread that has a big um, no rules sign on it. Yeah, yeah. Victoria <laughs> saying that that like these games should come with that on the box, except for they don't come in boxes anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I had a an instance. Um, actually, I think a couple of months ago, playing Civ Six, where an AI archer was able to somehow shoot from grassland over a hill to one of my other units that was also on a hill and in a forest, and I was struggling to figure out how that was a legal move. Because I wouldn't think that the archer would be able to see over the first hill, let alone shoot. It also doesn't help that still, since the game has been released, anytime you build a lumber mill on a hill, you can see the ground flatten out under it. Huh, I had never noticed that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it, it, Does it, the lumber mill actually change the tile to a flat... No, it doesn't, but it changes the way it looks so that it look, it looks much more flat than it should. Yeah, which if you don't play with yields on, that, that's a dangerous visual tell for sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I, I went into strategic view and confirmed that there were, in fact, hills. And that and there, the, the archer that I'm talking about was standing on an empty tile. It was There was no improvement on it at all. But if this line of sight thing is, is uh, the way it's being represented, then... 
it could see the hill because it's a hill uh, at distance. So you get an extra, because yeah. it's a taller object, you get an extra point of vision. Now, why it, it seemed to apparently have indirect fire, that, that indirect fire is its own role. Like, right. when when that needs to apply versus not. Because I don't think you can go like flatland, hill, flatland. But apparently right. you can go flatland, hill, hill, or hill, hill, flatland. Yeah, maybe. I, I think I captured video footage and screenshots of it, and I had meant to post it on the forums to ask, like, you know, WTF, but I, I just never got around to it. I got distracted by other things. Maybe I'll have to go back and, and look and, and post it, maybe even on this thread. Well, I would recommend starting a new thread if it's uh, indirect fire related, just because it, it is a different mechanic. It depends on line of sight, but there's other rules on top of that. Because even if you could see everything, you still can't shoot over certain things, like, right. even I- in the middle of your own empire. But yeah, I, I, it was frustrating because I had specifically moved my units onto that tile because they were already damaged so that they would not get shot at. And then the AI just shot at them anyway. And I was like, what? And th- that's the worst. Like, you do things because you anticipate you anticipate what will happen. And, like, the game just doesn't represent it properly. Or there's no, you have no way of knowing the consequences yeah, at I, all. I lost the unit, and I was so frustrated by not understanding how it got hit to begin with that I reloaded from, like, two or three turns previous just so that I would not take the, you know, damage earlier. And, yeah, I, I used to be more opposed to reloading, but modern strategy games, like, they don't... Like, the, the game breaks its own covenant in terms of that. Like, you're not going to tell me the rules, then I'm going to learn them through trial and error. And you know what you do with trial and error gameplay in the 90s? You reload the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I pretty much only do it when... We don't that's from Sierra, though. Like, that was not a good aspect of Sierra (laughs) titles. But that's how most strategy games are now. And and save scumming is something that I try to, you know, only do if there is some issue with the game rules where something that I did not think would happen happens or or vice versa. Or if, you know, sometimes I just flat out misclick. And then I'm like, oh, crap, got to reload the autosave. That's a problem in multiplayer. And it's also a, like, it, it, well, I, I wouldn't recommend playing Iron Man <laughs> in games, even though I do it sometimes. Just because, like, it's a dishonest game mode. Any In any game that has a lot of these rule violations or rule, it, it, like, just doesn't tell you the rules, it, the presence of the Iron Man mode is just straight up dishonest. Well, I'm going to call it dishonest because it is. To give the games the benefit of the doubt, it's also possible that it's not a rules violation. It could just be a bug or a glitch. That's true. Although having too many of those is also problematic if you're going right. to make an Iron Man mode. True. Like, but you, you don't want to have a game that ends. Like This used to be a problem in EU4. Like, like you could have a, a literal game over uh, because of a permanent war. Because in that game, you cannot end a war without making a peace deal but there was a there was a bug that made it impossible to negotiate with the war leader thus no matter how much you occupied their land no matter how badly you beat them if you had every single province of theirs occupied and you killed all their units you still could not initiate a peace deal so that war was forever and there were there are major problems in that game with being at war forever with the nation so right. and you couldn't like unoccupy the land so you're just going to be you were basically game over by that <laughs> Right, but that's and that's an instance where you know the game rules are presented in good faith. It's just not working as intended. Yes and no. They are sort of in that case, sort of in good faith, uh, partially in good faith, because there are other issues as well that are uh, more questionable. But yeah, and that, in addition to that, there was just a game-ending bug on top. Yeah, the uh, the P screen lies to you uh, in multiple ways in EU4. So. That's something we don't need in Firaxis games. Uh, we we could use some of the design of Cassus Valleys that the those uh, paradox games use because they, they implement it much better than Civ 6 but we don't need the uh, we don't need extra problems to carry it over from paradox 
Yeah. We've got enough problems of our own over here. Yeah, this yeah. is just enough Let's problems without, without bringing in extras. Like, not knowing what our units can see and can't see. Or yeah. can shoot at and not shoot at. Or if right-clicking on a unit with another unit selected will move the unit or attack it. <laughs> <sighs> yes. My gosh. That's ridiculous. Everyone's I, favorite bug, not... I don't see that as often in Civ 6 as 5, especially relative to the number of units you field, but it's still an issue. It should probably just draw an arrow when you mouse over. Me? No, uh, like, for ranged combat, like, oh. if you mouse over the enemy, it, it should have a... It should draw an arrow, like you're going to do a ranged attack, if the unit has an eligible ranged attack. I think uh, it does. I'm pretty sure Civ I was going to say yes. But... It, it's not so consistent with that. Like, I've made ranged attacks without seeing the arrow. It takes a while for it to draw because it, like, animates it coming out of the, the source unit and, like, then going... So if you're just clicking real quick, then you're not going to see it. And I've also seen it's, you know, it's probably a bug where it just does not appear sometimes and I have to move the mouse and highlight over the targeted unit again and then the arrow appears. Okay, but all right. There, there is an arrow. It just, it, yeah, like you said, it's not it's entirely consistent. Yeah, about when it shows up and when it doesn't. It's kind of like the the tooltip delay. You know, you hover the mouse over a, a tile, and sometimes, and depending on your your setting, it takes a while for the tooltip to show up. And sometimes the tooltip just decides it doesn't want to show up no matter what you do. That's a problem though, because you need that information. Right. I, I don't like things that when it represents like it's a ranged attack though, and then it doesn't happen. Like you get a combat tooltip appearing, and then you right click and your archer just moves. No. <laughs> That's not what I saw on the map. I didn't right. see. I didn't see a movement path traced, so it shouldn't move. And that's related to the issue that I talked about earlier, where sometimes the units don't follow the path that uh, the UI says. Uh, they're yeah, that's take. that's also a problem. And then you end up being out of position, or put in a vulnerable position, or you don't get to that goody hut before the AI does, or you know whatever the case may be. Pathing calculations are tough in games. But it it should still, regardless, it should still follow the path it represents that it's going to take. That that is not excusable in my mind. That's a problem with Civ and in like Hearts of Iron as well, where the, the units display one path and take a different path, and it can screw you in both games. It can screw you. We're not playing. I want to be the guy. We're playing a strategy game. <laughs> I'm not playing the super thing where you have to be absolutely perfect all of the time. Well, plus there's there's intentional fake difficulty built into those uh, like high difficulty platformers, but that's kind of like their shtick. The, the shtick of a strategy game is not fake difficulty. <laughs> no. In fact, it, that undermines the, the strategy <laughs> in a strategy game. Well, speaking of strategy. And Fixo started uh, over on Siphonex a thing about strategy guidelines for AI because he's looking at some mechanisms that are already in the game that maybe there would be a way to improve that strategy for the AI. Uh, basically, to trying to teach the AI basically to evaluate better of what's going on in the game because sometimes it just seems that it gets single focused on one thing. You know, it's like I'm just going to do this, and then things change, but I'm still just going to do this. The biggest thing is it just doesn't think very far ahead, if it thinks ahead at all. Yeah, if it's doing more than about five or ten turns, I'd be surprised. It's like, oh, look, I can get a plus one adjacency bonus for this campus, but if I wait a few turns and annex this other tile, I can get a plus four, but I'm just going to build the plus one now. Or to it be, doesn't even think to use the gold to buy it. To be fair, doing long-term logistics calculations like that yeah. for an AI is very, very difficult. It's, um, it's hard to code, and it's very resource-intensive. 
I mean, yeah. you're, you're talking about increasing turn processing time yeah. by an order of magnitude <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're going out more than just even a few turns, which Sif can't say, afford at all. It's not really it's that hard to slow. program it because I I have programmed some things that can do stuff like that. The well, problem is efficiently, so yeah, that it doesn't increase turn processing times by orders of magnitude. The problem is even in a game as simple or as quote unquote simple as chess, you can you can calculate every possible move in the game from your current location and it still will take you a long time comparatively and add that to a game where you have a hundred turns and 500 options per turn it becomes extremely large extremely quickly and you've got thousands of tiles on the board instead of being on what is it an eight by eight grid yeah Uh you have to anticipate uh, like what's good in future situations based on current situation. It's a lot to ask. Like, I give uh, Firaxis more of a pass here than most, just because I don't see good AI in any strategy game I've played. Uh, I've seen it better relative to the day or whatever, but AI in strategy games just sucks like through and through every game I've played. So eh, it could be better. I would like to see it better. But which, I'm not is why, be like, which is why you should put more focus into very clearly presenting the rules and mechanics so that the players can play competitively against each other and not have to rely on an AI. Exactly. Yes. And the impact on the AI should be at least considered to some extent uh, when you're doing design, unless you're doing a fully multiplayer game. Right, which Civ will probably never be. No, like, it could be designed that way. Um, or they could even try to split it. I think that would be a bad idea overall, but I mean, it's not impossible in principle. It's no, it's just said it would be a bad idea. I'm just saying I, I don't I don't imagine that you'd ever have a very large player base if the game were exclusively multiplayer. Yeah, probably not. Because <laughs> good luck finding eight to ten other players who are gonna sit down and play a game for, you know, fifteen hours. Even if you're playing for like four hours, that's a big commitment. <laughs> yeah. Most successful right. online games don't run four hours. Uh, per game they are often run less than a half hour per a game so and you already have lever problems in games like dota and league of legends which uh, 30 minutes is a very possible slash typical outcome but you can get games up to one hour right and you already have people leaving like crazy in these games and you need like rules in place to punish them for it so it's less common well and then you've just got the technical issues of will the connection hold for that long oh yeah i I had a lot oh god yeah i had a lot of problems with that for access for the the net code or whatever it is that keeps multiplayer games stable is awful in civ 5 and civ 6 it is awful well i had to basically stop you know I, i gave up playing madden online because i couldn't keep connected for even just the 20 30 minute games that are the default settings let alone if i wanted to play a full 15 minute quarters game you know with someone who actually wanted to play real football and not you know madden football (laughs) those take so long though like time the game is not time in real life it's uh, my gosh (laughs) well with the accelerated clock feature you can play a full length game in like an hour and a half yeah that's true but that's a long time and you, you tend to get scores that that are not representative of reality. Oh yeah, you got to you got to do a lot of tweaking to the AI sliders and stuff like that in order to make the game playable in that settings. But this is not a Madden podcast. This is a Civilization podcast. So <laughs> I, I went yes. 140 to 60. Get wrecked. <laughs> if if we did have the video, we would probably see Canis and Mackie rolling their eyes as the, the two of us start talking about football. It's like, oh, here we go again, guys. Come on. <sighs> You want to start a Madden podcast? Go do that. But no, no, no. We're, <laughs> we are mostly retired from that. I think. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, in fact, I did give an example in the thread of how the AI 
works through what it's going to pursue a science victory. But he points out that even when he it goes because he it was you have a good tech city is Renaissance I guess mean it is, is the Renaissance Ren- yeah okay has two Don't science wonders yeah he looked it up and it was after some testing it was a the tech lead had to be top percentile of civs ordered by their number of techs and if you were low in the it was low in the military lower in the military and it's finished satellite launch okay I'm gonna go for it now but the conditions fluctuate like. It's pointed the strategy would get deactivated, reactivated every few turns because if it's depending on a certain percentage, just like say if it's twenty in the top twenty percent or something, and it drops to it's in the top twenty one percent, then oh I'm not doing science anymore. Then two turns later, oh I'm doing science again. No way I'm not doing science. You know. Well, does it reevaluate this every turn, or like does it evaluate it every era? I mean, when does that I evaluation happen? The way he's phrasing this, I think it's a, if it's not every turn, it's every few turns. Yeah, I would that would be a problem. Every turn. Yeah. yeah, it definitely shouldn't be. It should be at least long enough for like significant events to happen in the game to change the conditions. You know, whether that be settling new cities or you know wars starting mm-hmm. and ending, or you know, I, I would probably say even just once per era would maybe be sufficient. But then you know maybe also have some like other conditions where you know if something if some something in the game state dramatically changes, if, then if the AIs suddenly- would. Yeah, if you're suddenly at war with a big power that's stronger than you, you might want to put off that victory condition for a minute. <laughs> it does. Right. Stay- that might be unwinnable, so you might want to race as quickly as possible in some situations, yeah. too. But then you have to get an AI to evaluate that kind of situation. Oof. It does yeah. say in the list of problems that the AIs do not make considerations about game situations and the actions of other players, so they don't care what anybody else is doing, and they don't have considerations for civ leaders or leader abilities civ affinities uh, or leader I hate traits that they do not factor the game situation yeah, not he, even their own leader abilities apparently no. not oh yeah exactly bad. that's that's terrible if you're particularly some of the science focused civ or some of the more war focused civ why would you not take that into account we take that into account playing them does that mean that hypothetically Congo's leader might think he can qualify for a religious victory and yes. actually try to play towards that because he, he doesn't realize that he is can't. legally not able to do that. He probably doesn't meet enough things on that like checklist. Oh yeah, that's like, probably see how true. we have one he for science. Have, yeah, he wouldn't yeah. have any holy sites. Yeah, so if you, yeah, it, he probably doesn't. Therefore, would not have enough holy sites or enough of a spread of his own religion or whatever the AI uses to evaluate. But that even then, it. like. He, he could have like a pantheon or something like that that gives him a lot of faith from tiles and that might trip might cause him to trip over the I have a city with good faith output. It says that yeah, three of the conditions. You need must... at least three of the six for yeah, for science. Right. And so you need three of the six for religion and he probably just cannot get enough of them to to pick that strategy. Because I've never seen Congo do that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, so I, I wasn't sure if it was possible or not, but I, I mean, I would hope that, like, it wouldn't even be a matter of checking these conditions. Like, it would be nice if the Congo leader, I keep forgetting how to pronounce his name, uh, would just be like, yeah, I am, by rule, I can't compete for this victory, so I'm not even going to consider it. Well, that maybe should be in the list of things. Like, the victory condition is possible, but yes. But, yeah. but I think they uh, figured that they did it good enough because there's no way he could he could select it. Yeah, I, I, I don't about... have a big problem with that per se. I have a much bigger problem with the fact that they don't factor in game situation in this very effectively or at all. Yeah, because uh, that leads to AI picking strategies that throw. This would sort of explain why their last ditch efforts during wars always build more settlers. 
Yeah. I'm underexpanded. Build more settlers. Uh, he pointed out in a, in a mod that the science strategy checks does check for the Civ flavoring traits, checks for whether the tech leave, it checks for some game progress and policies and religion influence. And it's even trying to guess. This is something, I mean, that that's a lot of code writing right there for that. But even if it could just get the first two in, or even also policies and things. I mean, there's so much here that apparently the AI is not looking at at all, which kind of explains why it's boneheaded sometimes. Probability of loosing versus winning. Losing. I know what added an extra O and took out an extra N there. That's interesting. And I, I guess I'm our grammar Nazi now, so <laughs> Oh right. I was tra- I was looking at it and I think, wait, where did you take where did he take out an N and then I saw winning? <laughs> or whining or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't think that's a word. Whining is a word, but that's not how you spell whining. And like I don't think you would say that you're doing that if you're like drinking wine. Well, you can you can say that you've gone out whining with somebody, or because you can whining and dining. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. So maybe that whining is the word. Dining. So if the eye is uh, losing and whining, <laughs> wait a minute. Mm, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, of, of drug uh, addiction, maybe this wasn't an accident after all. I mm. lost a game of Civ. Now I'm going to drink a bottle of wine. There you go. Disclaimer, do not do this at home, kids. Well, suggestions in the thread, somebody, uh, sorry, Traveling Canada suggested a point system for the AI to keep track of so that if it would only switch victory conditions if the conditions points total got bigger. Like if, ew, what was his example? If an AI had two points in science and one point in culture to start with. Oh, oh this is for starting preferences, sorry. But like... An example was having Korea be three points in science, so they have a strong preference for going for the science victory, and it's harder to move them away. Whereas you probably want somebody like Genghis to be more on domination as opposed to trying to go to space. Well, I, I think, again, it, it's the, the Civ flavors would probably lead them to this anyway, mm-hmm. because, you know, Robert the Bruce is going to have more flavors for science, so he's going to pursue more science things over the course of the game, which means he's more likely to trip over qualifying for the science victory so um, you might not necessarily need them to start the game with the bias although if they could start the game and then plan out ahead better like being like i'm gonna go for science victory so like i said earlier i'm gonna take this plus four campus adjacency bonus instead of settling for the plus one or the plus two that would definitely improve their play yeah even like if he added a thing in for a science focus to that the plus one for a campus isn't an acceptable level that it wants at least a plus two or higher or something. And that like would improve their science. To, of course, make exceptions for if that's not possible, right? If you just don't yeah. have jungles, then you got to put the campus somewhere. So you take right. what you get. But yeah, if you've got a little nook of mountains where you're going to get a big bonus and it's just a matter of buying tiles to get that, it would be really nice if the AI would notice that and do it. And it would also be really nice if the AI could be smart enough to actually know to wait Instead of just, you know, being like, oh, I've got to build a campus, got to pick a place. Got to build a campus, got to pick a place, got to do this thing now, 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 now. Yeah, because, you know, AIs, it might not necessarily have the gold to buy that tile now, but if it waits two or three turns, you know. Yeah. The problem with that idea is what happens if it suddenly decides that, oh, I can wait till this tile pops, but I'm going to die in three turns if I don't. Yeah, that's that's the sort of thing that makes it hard. Which is why I, I did not say that Firaxis should make it work that way. I said it would be nice if it could work that way. Very true. So it's it's wishful thinking. But yeah, that would be a difficult thing to to program and, you know, have it account for all the different variables and, you know, not basically make it so that... Because you, know, you also don't want a situation where you as the player, like, can see that an AI is, like, waiting to do something and then you just screw it up completely 
before it is able to do it, and then it just can't do it. If that makes sense, it does. Because you don't want to put in a bunch of uh, a bunch of situations where the the player can just easily exploit uh, the AI yeah. because we already have enough of that in Civ Six in particular, especially with things like the AIs not ever bothering to escort their civilian units. So when they move that settler near your cities to forward settle you, and it's not defended, you can just war deck, get a free settler, and then make peace a few turns later, and you got a free city out of it. And rinse and repeat, even. Yeah, and then sometimes even rinse and repeat. Like, it would be nice if the AI didn't do that. Like, the only time I could see it ever deciding it should not escort a settler is if it's, like, one of those things where it's on one end of a continent and it's settling away from all the players, you know, where there's virtually no risk unless a, you know, barbarian suddenly spawns of somebody attacking it. I'm not sure we even worth the effort to evaluate that as opposed to just escorting it. Just, yeah, just always. I, I would default to just always escort it, you know, unless it is easy to, to write some simple checks. But yeah, if you're going to send it in the direction of other players, you should know to escort it, even if you're peaceful with those players. <sighs> yes. Oh, and right. the AI is not good enough to like make uh, like spacing units out in front so that it can just have it not escort a unit behind because it can see everything. So just discard it. <laughs> and I also get frequently annoyed whenever I see the AI like exploring the map with great people. But then I realize that you can't kill great people. Yeah, so it's actually pro that's strat. <laughs> act- that's actually a situation where the AI is playing the game well, even though I don't like that that is good play. Kind of a goofy yeah, game rule. I've got an invincible unit. Might as well use it to explore and scout and look for barbarians and goody huts. Yeah, because I'm totally sure Einstein plundered a bunch of goody huts. Yes, exactly. Yeah, your your friggin' early great uh, general is a better scout than your scouts. Well, speaking of uh, AI behavior, this is a little bit less about AI behavior, but more about game behavior with AIs involved. Over on the Reddit for Civ, the r slash Civ, he had somebody by the name of Fedora Tippin' Good, and he is complaining about the fact that the capitals for starting civs are always really close together. And I think that's been a long-running problem that a lot of people have been very frustrated with. I feel like that has gotten better recently. Like, I think they, they put out a patch or something that increased the, the distance. I what, think. We, what we do know is that if you look in the code... The major civilization distance minimum is nine tiles. So nine tiles is supposedly the closest any other civ can spawn to your capital. But you can get a natural wonder within four tiles, a, a city state within five, and a and a city state can be within three of a natural wonder. Okay, that's what that means. So if anyone remembers all those times we when uh, you're playing Civ Five at least and you get a natural wonder and it's right inside a city state, turns out that was on by design, quasi by design at least. At least they didn't care that it happens. I mean, it does make sense because you usually tend to build where there's something interesting to look at. Yeah, right? and that also you know then makes that city state more you know strategically relevant to the game there's a good reason to want to conquer it and there was some discussion about whether or not it's okay to change the rules if you're not happy with them with people being called generation z crybabies at one point (laughs) and um subsequently uh if you look at that user's name on the steam thread that this is connected to right next to their name is the word banned so (laughs) take that as you will 
Yeah, there we go. What a surprise. But I think the the final conclusion that they made with this was do what you want in a single player game, but recognize that sometimes civs starting close to each other is a good thing, especially if you want to kill them. Yeah. Well, there's also the advanced uh, settings where you can actually add additional, you know, civs or AIs to the game, in which case they would have to be spawning closer. So if you put a hard cap in and then you added so many, you know, civs to the game that it's not possible to place all those capitals, then, you know, you've got another problem. I wonder... It's crashed that way now. Maybe not. It would either crash or it would just overrule it and put it right next to you. Or maybe even put it right on top of you. Yeah. <laughs> Two settlers start one tile apart from each other. It's always a healthy scenario. I know that there was one AI play game that was on on the internet some years ago. Maybe it was months ago. But it was, what was it, 30 to 34 civs on a, on a flat? Oh, Battle Royale, maybe? Something like that. But it was a, it was a dual-sized map with 34 civs on it. So everyone oh, would, boy. would plant their city and their warrior would head off. But they were all so close to each other that they were always on each other's borders. Yeah, I would imagine you'd be like three or four tiles from the other civs capital. From uh, from other civs capitals in every direction. Yeah. <laughs> I just get the early conquest train going and it won't stop. But there were no resources either. So what? You can still use Ooh. archers. And you know they won't have any resource units. <laughs> Very true. I, f- I, think th- I think Japan won that eventual battle. I can't remember, though. Yeah, that that would definitely give advantage to civs that have, you know, really good unique units. Uh, Unique swordsmen and unique knights would have a definite advantage, because you'd actually be able to build those. Until they need it in the next patch. (laughs) Yeah, until other players wouldn't. Uh, It would also mean that, you know, units would remain very cheap to build throughout the entire game. So, there'd be a lot of unit spam. I think you just use crossbows and catapults and crap for the most part to kill stuff. Right. Again, unless you have a unique knight or something. Yeah. Own. Yeah, that's true. You get a knight to the face, and you get a knight to the face. You all get a knight to the face. I think Nubia would be a little pretty healthy save in that scenario. Yes, healthy. <laughs> Person and definitions. Because it's already fun to defend against the Nubian archer rush. Everybody's favorite. Especially when it's a human player doing it, not the AI. Uh... Grimvex is high, Mackie. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Grimvex sends his regards. Although, uh, DD AI rushes with Aztec are pretty brutal, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, only fools would drink alcohol and play Civ, lol. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Totally <laughs> would to kill them in a game right like that. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Except when you do. Except when you do. Uh-huh. All right, thank you for joining us on Polycast episode 329. I'm the main team, and today I was joined by Canis Albinus. Uh, hopefully I'm doing okay. Since you're, uh, you're, um... Oh, screwed it up again. Is that your line, Mackie? Yes. Okay. And Mega Bears fan. Back to not playing Madden. (laughs) 